so today the title of the message is he rose and followed after him he rose and followed him Luke 9 57 through 58 someone said to Jesus I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him uh, foxes uh, let me wait a minute I was on the wrong page as they Luke 9 57 through 62 as they were going along the road someone said to him I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him foxes have holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head to another he said follow me but he said Lord let me first go and bury my father and Jesus said to him leave the dead to bury their own dead but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, as I was teaching this week through the book of Mark, there was a passage that stood out to me. It was the passage where Jesus was walking through the city of Capernaum, and he called Levi, a tax collector, to follow after him. Levi, a tax collector, was, was the dregs of society. He had, a, he had a, a good position, made a lot of money, but he was like a politician today. You knew they were stealing you blind, you just couldn't prove it, right? So anyway, Levi was a tax collector and surprised everyone that Jesus called him to follow after him. But what really stood out to me as I thought about it was the decisiveness of Levi to say, yes, I want to follow you. And in order to do that, he left everything to follow after Jesus. Our text today is describing the effects of Jesus upon the people and how they responded to his presence. What we'll see today are four different responses. The first decides himself it would be a good thing to be like Jesus or to go to church or whatever the case may be. He gave himself a call. The second received a call but delayed the call until he believed the conditions were right. The third, as we'll see, receives the call, but he wanted to determine the call. That is, he was going to set the conditions and the terms to how he was going to respond. And then finally, not part of this text, but another one, we're going to look at the example of a man named Elisha who received a call to follow and how he proceeded to do so. So the first point we want to look at, the first man is, I propose the call. Luke 9, 57 through 58, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Deciding that emulating Jesus would be a good thing to do, a good moral life to live, is not in itself a bad thing, but it's not really what it means to be a Christian. This man wants to add Jesus to his present way of life. Jesus responds by telling the man that following him is not and will not be an easy thing to do. It has its challenges. Following Jesus is a call to leave your present life and to embrace his life. It's a call to leave the familiarity, the world that we've grown up and provides, to follow the Lord into whatever situation and place he deems that it's important for us to go or he is leading us to. Moreover, the call is not something that we give ourselves, but is a response to hearing his voice, to our way of life, and following after him and his way of life. John 10, 14 through 16, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and so there will be one flock and one shepherd. What I'm trying to tell you with this is that there are those who know the Lord, 
and they're part of his fold, but there are those that he has died that they may become part of his fold. They just haven't heard his voice. When you hear the voice of God, it gives you the opportunity to respond to his voice by faith. Well, how can I hear his voice? Well, you can hear it through a preacher. You can hear it while you're in prayer. The bottom line is, is the Lord is speaking to your heart. When I first came to church, I was 21 years old. I didn't know God, but I was following after someone who did. She invited me to church. I went to church. Didn't always have the right reasons to go to church. I went to church not to hear the gospel. I went to church because I liked the girl. And when I got to church, it took me three and a half months to get saved. But the minute that I heard the preaching of the gospel, I heard the words of the preacher, but I heard more. See, there was, I didn't have vocabulary here to understand. But as, I, as the preacher was preaching, there was something pulling on my heart. It wasn't just words coming into my ears. It was a something that was pulling, pulling. Hey, what he's telling you is true. And I know now that that was God's presence speaking to me because I didn't have vocabulary for, for it back then. But now I know it was the presence of God, uh, it was uh, giving confirmation that what the speaker was saying was true. It was the voice of God speaking through the preacher, right? John the Baptist, he said, uh, uh, the voice of one crying in the, the, in the wilderness. Well, John the Baptist was the voice, but the one crying in the wilderness was the Spirit of God. Today, the Spirit of God is still speaking. I happen to be the one that is right now at this present time giving voice to what he's saying, but you had Woody giving voice to what the Spirit of God was saying. You had Bobby giving voice to what the Spirit of God was saying. You had the worship team giving voice to what the Spirit of God is saying. The one who is speaking is the Spirit of God. We just happened to be at that moment his voice what happens when I hear the voice of God Romans 10 and 17 faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. Jeremiah was, a, 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 he was, grew up in a priest's home, but he didn't know the voice of God. He didn't know God's voice. And God came to him when he was 17 years old. And he said, I have a plan for you. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to me. The voice of God came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you for a prophet to the nations. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you would doing. God had a plan when you were created. You were not an accident. It doesn't matter what anybody told you. It doesn't matter what your parents told you. It doesn't matter what life told you. God created you on purpose for a purpose. And you say, well, I haven't lived that way because you don't know God. You don't know the creator. And he has a plan for your life. Whew, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. The second person, the second person who was in the presence of God. And this one's called, I postponed the call. Luke 9, 59 through 60. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. That sounds kind of harsh. Well, let's see what, what we're talking about here. This man heard the call and wanted to accept the call, but he didn't feel like the, the time was right at this particular time. He had other things that he was going to do. He had other responsibilities that required his attention. So, in effect, he was saying, I will follow you, but not today. Tomorrow will be better for me. 
the problem for this man, and it's a problem for many of us, is that tomorrow never comes. There will always be another responsibility. There will always be another thing. There will always be something else to do that will grab our attention. What we don't realize is that we're making a decision between what the world is offering us and what God is offering us, and you can't have both. You're going to have to embrace God. In order to embrace God, you've got to let go of what today is offering to, to grab hold of what God is offering you, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. A lot of people say, well, I want to have a career first, and then after I'm, I'm done with my career, then I'll uh, have Jesus. Or I want to have a children first, and then after I have children, then we'll go to church and I'll have Jesus. Or I want to do this first, or I want to I experience life. I don't want to live life restricted. I want to experience all that life offers. I want to sleep around with other people. I, I, I want to I uh, try, uh, uh, you know, all the joys that, that life brings and not realizing that what the enemy offers you is not life, but it offers you a passage to, 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 to hell and death itself. Well, how many people, well, I want to party, I want to know Jesus, and they go out and they get addicted to alcohol, they get addicted to drugs, they get addicted to a lascivious lifestyle, to, to, a, to a, a sexual freedom, they get addicted to, to all these things that life offers, and instead of being free, they find themselves bound. They're bound to the things of the world, not realizing that that's the enemy's plan from the beginning of time. He, he says what I offer you is freedom, but what he really offers you is death, bondage. But the, Jesus came that we might be set free. Jesus doesn't make you. He doesn't force you. He died for you. He showed you what he did, how much he loved you, so that when you see that, you can respond. But he doesn't make you. He doesn't force you. But he does draw you. And he said, I love you. I created you. And I went to the point when you left me to die for you. Will you come back to me? I still love you. I, I, I forgive you. I have a purpose and I have a plan. But you got to let go of your present life and embrace my life. You cannot serve God and mammon. Luke 12, 16 through 21, Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for yourself. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? When you die, you cannot take it with you. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. James 4, 13 through 17, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know that what, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. How many of us can look around and think around about the people that we've grown up and we already know there are people that we thought we were going to spend life with, we thought we would know for a time, and they're already gone. They're driving along one day and they get into a car crash or somebody hits them or some disease gets them or, or you know, I just they're here today and they're gone tomorrow and all the plans that they had are gone with them and all the things that they've done, they go up in smoke. Only thing that matters when you die is do you know Jesus? 
Hebrews 3 and 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, not tomorrow, today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the third person we're going to look at, third, not this third, <laughs> third person is the one that says, I plan the call. It's Luke 9, 61 through 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What I mean to relay in this point is the idea that we somehow can determine how the call is to function. We make the terms for following after God. This person has heard the call and made the decision that he wants to follow, but fulfilling of it, fulfilling it in his mind must wait until certain things are in place. It's not a call to immediate action for him, but a call that waits until everything falls into the place that he wants or he envisions. Perhaps this man wants the approval of those around him. Perhaps he wants the assurance of knowing everything's going to go the way he wants. Maybe he even wants the financial support of the family uh, before doing so. In effect, following after God has to be on his terms, not God's terms. I say this uh, all the time. I talk about uh, uh, how I, I like to envision uh, people coming to the Lord is that if we were all a car, you can imagine yourself to be a nice Buick, 100 years old, like Bobby was talking about, <laughs> or you can imagine yourself to be a Lexus, or you can imagine yourself to be a smart car, whatever. But you, your life is a car. And what happens is you're driving because it's your life. You drive the car. What you, don't, what you don't realize is that you're a terrible driver. Everywhere you go, you get a scrape, you get a bump, you get a wreck. Your, your car's running on empty. It's running on fumes. It's barely, all three out of four cylinders aren't functioning. And right about that time, you say, man, my life is a mess. My car is a wreck. My life is a mess. I heard that you can get fixed by going to church. You never go to church before, but somebody says, invite you to church, and you say, well, I'm going to go to church. Now, why are you in the condition that you're in? Because you're a terrible driver. And so they come to Jesus, and they come to church, and they hear the gospel, and they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, well, I want Jesus in my life. I want God to fix my life. And so they say, well, come into my car. Come into my life. And they invite Jesus into their life. The only problem is they don't let Jesus drive. Why are they in the position they're in? They've been driving. And then they get saved. They want God in their life, but they only want God to let them know, hey, I love you. You're good. You know, they don't want him to tell them you're a terrible driver. Don't go this way. No, the only way that Christianity works is when you no longer drive, but you give the wheel to Jesus. I'm going to serve God, but I'm going to do it my way. If you do it your way, it's not his way. Jesus said, I, not I myself, not I ego, not my, my, me, but I, Jesus, am the way, truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father except through me. The Bible says uh, uh, in Matthew 16, 24, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to share it anyway. It said, he that would come after me must deny himself. Uh, there's a translation that says, deny his right to self-rule. Deny your right to say, this is the way it is. Now, you can do that. You can do that all you want, but if you want to be a Christian and you want to have an overcoming, victorious Christian life, you cannot live on the throne and, and, and have God bowing down before you. The only way the Christian life works is when you let him sit on the throne and you recognize him as the creator of the universe and you submit to him. Submitting to him doesn't mean submitting to me or the church. It means submitting to his word. 
We, we have hierarchy in the church in the sense that there are, there are gifts that preach to other people, but they're, they're not to over, over uh, lord over people, but to serve like a coach that comes in to equip you, to help you to become all that God's created you to be. In the church, leadership is not about being on top. It's about being on the bottom and helping others go up. That's what it's about. And he said, well, I'm getting stronger in God. God's going to promote me. Yes, he'll promote you, but he promotes you not by going up, but by going down. So you can be strong, so you can help lift others up. That's what it means to be a Christian. Well, I don't like that. I want it on my terms. I want to do it my way. I want to do what the Bible says, but I'm going to do, you know, what I think is important. I don't believe that's for today. I don't believe there's a lot of people today says, well, that's, that's your truth, but not my truth. No, this isn't my truth or your truth. It's his truth. Whether you accept it or not, it's his truth, his way. Right? Well, I don't believe that. You're welcome to do that. You can believe whatever you want. God gives us the freedom to believe whatever we want. But if you want to stand before the Lord one day and you want to be able for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, he's not going to do it based on what you believe. He's going to do it based on his truth. Did you do what I say? Well, well, I tried. I thought I did. When I said to do this, did you do it? No, I did not. Then how can I say, well done, good and faithful servant? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right? You see what? We want Jesus, but we want him on our terms. You cannot define the terms for following after him. He is Lord. He is God. We get to serve him. We get the privilege. He's a good God. He's not a taskmaster. He's not evil. He said, how do I know that? Because he gave his life for you to have life. What kind of God does that? Most gods want to overlord you, tell you what to do, run your life. But God doesn't do that. He comes in as a servant. He is Lord. He is king. But he came to serve. As the Son of Man came to serve and he calls us to serve. But he is Lord and king. But his desire, and when he does give you rules and mandates and gives you ways to follow life, is not to make you. It's so that you will honor his word. And in honoring his word, it's like saying, if I do what God says, Things go better for me. Rebellious teenagers all the time, they think the parents are stupid. Everything in media is telling you that parents and Asians and, and people that are elderly are stupid. They don't know anything. They don't know how to do life. And guess what we pro project under the Lord? The same thing. Well, God doesn't know what I'm going through. Really? The God who knows everything? Oh, God doesn't understand. Oh, that's an ancient text. It's not for today. No, everything that people go through then is the same thing that we go through now. Well, we've evolved since then. Have we evolved or have we devolved? Matthew 10, 34 through 39 says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The call to follow after God is this call to submit to his leadership in our lives. I can't tell you how many people say, I want to follow Jesus, and then they get around their family, and their family tells them, no, you're not going to do that. And then we begin to rethink what we're going to do. Well, my family says not to do it, or my family says, my family told me, you don't need Jesus, it's just a crutch. You don't need a crutch in your life. You go do, you know, and if I'd have listened to them, I wouldn't have become all that God called for me to be. 
So it's not telling you not to love your family. It's not telling you not to care about your family. It's just telling you who are you going to put in the position of who you're going to follow in life. Are you just going to do what your family tells you to do? That's a good thing to a certain point. But God is the creator of the universe, and if he's calling you to something, if my parents and my family is not in agreement with that, I've got a choice to make. Right? When I, when I, the other thing, when I got saved, we never went to church. Never growing up. Didn't know anything about God other than my mother, my grandmother was, uh, would pray for us and she taught me how to do the, 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 the Catholic prayer. But I really believe it's not, she knew the Lord, uh, but it was just in her own way. I'm not saying if you're Catholic you can't know God, but you can, you can come to this church and not know God. Don't turn, don't look. It ain't about going to church. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. How do I have a relationship with Jesus? You've got to give. You've got to embrace what God did for you. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not you become a member of a church. What happens is recognizing your loss, recognizing your sinfulness, recognizing there's no way for you to have a relationship with God. Jesus, by dying for your sins, made a way. And he said, if you will believe in the work that I did, I will count what I did on your behalf. And then I will take your filthy robes of righteousness because, uh, uh, let me explain this, you know, uh, uh, and I love this story because it made so much sense to me. When I first moved to Lake Jackson, I bought a white house. And then it snowed two months later and I realized, well, my house ain't white. When you compare snow to my house, my house that I thought was white I could never see it as white again. I used to think my teeth are white. And then I did the, the, the little Kleenex test, and I realized my teeth aren't white. Right? The test that I take, what relation, what are you? I said, I'm white. But I look at my skin, and I said, well, I don't think so. White is not what we think it is. See, white is relative to us. Right? And I'm not talking about skin color. I'm just talking about, I, I want to do it in the sense of purity. We may think we're good when we compare ourselves to other people. I'm good. I'm better than they are. I'm better than they are. I'm better than they are. But when you are in, uh, uh, presented before a most holy God who is totally pure, pure, totally holy, then we begin to realize, hey, I fall short. I'm not what I thought I was. I'm sure, what am I going to do now that I realize what well, Jesus, the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says our righteousness, that our works are like filthy rags. So when we embrace the Lord and we call unto him, he takes our filthy rags and puts it on himself, and he takes his clean, pure, holy uh, robe, and he puts it on us, and he said, son, daughter, come into the kingdom of God. That's the work that he does. How do I get off on that? Let me get back. The call to follow after God is a call to do things his way, a call to submit to his leadership in life. It's not about getting saved so I can go to heaven. That's important. We want everybody to go to heaven. But there's a lot of time between the time you get saved and the time you go to heaven. Like Bonnie was saying here, the call to serve God is not just about making sure that you have a good death, but Jesus wants you to have a good life as well. He wants you to have a purposeful life. He wants you to have a life with meaning in it, a life that is lived on his terms for your benefit, for your purpose, and for the benefit of mankind. Romans 8 and 14 says, For all who are led, not for all who got converted, 
for all who are led. It is an ongoing relationship with God. As we learn to walk with God, we become co-laborers with God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That word sons is mature children of God, mature sons of God. But that can also mean daughters as well. Fourth person we're going to look at, and then we're going we're to wrap it up, is I pursue the call. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, while mocking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. The call to follow is the call to rid ourselves of any and every attachment that would seek to have a claim to our lives that belongs to Jesus. For one person in the Bible, it was his money that prevented him from following Jesus. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, and that is God. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and the father, and you shall not love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to him, All these have I kept. What do do I still lack? And see, one of the things we need to realize, no matter how good you are without Jesus, we're going to find some area of our life is going to be lacking. And for this person, not for everyone, but for this person, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, the word perfect is mature, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Why was that important? Because to this man, his money was more important than Jesus. And Jesus knew that. Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it your children? Is it your friends? What is more important to you than Jesus? And it could be something innocuous, not something evil. For me, when I got saved, I've told this story many times, but it's my story, and I'm the only one telling it. When I got saved, I went to church. I, I, I played sports. I was a pretty good athlete uh, when I was younger, and I played soccer. I happened to be playing soccer at the time, and soccer was always on Sunday mornings. I was on the men's team. It was an older men's team. When I say older, I'm talking about younger than I am now, about 40, 50 years old. But when I was 18, 19, 20, they were old. And when you're 20, 21 years old, and you can run like the wind, and you're older, and you realize, you know, it don't matter how good you are. That kid can run. We need you. And so I start going to church, and finally I give my life to the Lord, and the Lord begins to work in my heart. One of the things that God asked me to do, he didn't make me, he didn't force me, he didn't say, you're, you're terrible if you don't. He gave me the opportunity. He said, I want you to give up soccer so that you can go to church on Sunday mornings. I, I, you know, see, I was, I was a foolish man. I was a foolish, foolish man. You see, people told me when you get saved, you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, you need to go to church, and you know that you need to give. And you know what I did foolishly? I did all of those things. Silly man. You don't have to pray to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to give to be a Christian. What was the other one? I just named four. <laughs> huh? You don't have to read your Bible to be a Christian. See, I'm almost 60. So... And, uh, but they said this is what you had to do. So, silly guy that I am, um, 
I just did what they told me to do. I had a prayer closet. I actually thought you had to have a closet, so I moved stuff away in my closet, and I got in there, and I began to pray. Well, I read my Bible. I would read my Bible all the way through. I got to where I was reading it four times a year. Some people say, well, I don't have time. You have enough time to do whatever you want to do. Whatever you deem important is what you want to do. I was hungry for the things of God. I'd read, I'd read 13 chapters a day because I knew if I read 13 chapters a day, I'll read through my Bible four times a year. And, you know, sometimes I cheated and I read more than that. And when I was spending time with the Lord and I was praying, he said to me, I want, you to, I want you to give up soccer and I want you to go to church on Sunday morning. And you know what? If I'd have gone, and I did, I went and talked to, 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 the, to the coach and, and my dad because he was part of the team as well. And I said, I'm going to start going to church on Sunday morning. You don't have to give up soccer to go to church. You can go to church on Wednesday night. You can go to church on Sunday night. You don't have to give up soccer. Oh, if I'd have gone and talked to church members, church members probably would have told me, you don't have to give up soccer to go to church. Just go to church on Wednesday night. Just go to church on Sunday nights. And, you know, today people are saying, you don't have to go to church, uh, uh, you know, to be a Christian. All you got to do is turn it on TV. And you can watch it from your bedroom in your PJs. It won't cost you anything. See, that's the problem. It doesn't cost you anything. But that's living life on your own terms. Serving God your way. God said to be in the Word. God said to not to forsake the fellowshipping of one another. God said that we need to give. God said to pray. When you pray. So anyway, this man's issue was he wasn't willing to give up his attachment to his money. For him, not for all of us, Jesus knew that, and so he was pinpointing what his problem was. Because how do you know that? Because it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Luke 16 and 13 says, no servant can serve two masters. You either will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In this passage, it's talking about money. You cannot serve God in money, but you also cannot have two masters in your life. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 19, 27 through 30, Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name say, we receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Remember how I began telling you how Levi's response to the call of Jesus got my attention? He left his wealth. He left his business. He left all that he had when Jesus called him. He was a man of great wealth. He was a man of great, he was infamous. He was famous, but not in a good way. But he left all of that, left it behind. To follow after Jesus. Luke in his parallel description says, leaving everything, Luke 5, 28, he rose and followed him. That's the title of the message today. Levi, whom we also know as Matthew, who wrote the first gospel response, was a decisive act. He gave up his business, he gave up his everything, and there was no going back. Finally, I'm winding down, 
let me relate to you the account of another person in the Bible who received a call from God. His response to that call is really the essence of what we're talking about today. It's the model for what it means to follow after God and to follow after God's call in our lives. In 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, it says, He, uh, Elijah, departed from there, found Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. So he had a very prosperous business. He had 12 tractors that were working his fields, and he was running with one of them, at the, but the tractor's metaphor for the oxen. And he left the oxen, and uh, no, Elijah passed by him and clasped his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Now that sounds like the first guy that we looked at in our text, but it's not the same, because the other person wasn't talking about, let me just go say bye, goodbye and come. He was saying, well, let me deal with this and let this play out in life, and then I'll follow you, not what's happening here. And Elijah says, go back again, for what have I done to you? In other words, it's not my call, it's God's call. And what you decide is really none of my business, it's your business. I love you. I want everybody within the sound of my voice that hears me preach it, I want everyone to do what I did when I heard the gospel to respond and recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we were created to be. But you know what? As much as it would hurt our hearts and as much as we know what you're losing by not coming to him, it's really your choice. It's your freedom to do whatever you want. Jesus made the way, prepared the way, offers the way, but it's up to us to receive his call. So anyway, with Elijah, he said, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. He arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. What does that mean for us today? He put all his business, all his possessions on Virage sale, on Facebook marketplace, and he sold them all. See, a lot of people hear the call, and I'm going to talk about people that have been called to ministry. They say, well, I want to make sure I'm provided for before I go into ministry. I want, to, I want to make sure that I'll start a business, and I'll make sure the business prospers, and then when it prospers, I don't have to ask anybody for money. Sounds good on the outset, but what you're really doing is you're responding to the call by defining how you're going to do it. You don't really trust God to take care of you. You're not forsaking all to follow after him. I could have been a doctor. I could have been a lawyer. I could have been a lot of things. I was not an unintelligent person. But I heard the call of God. And when I heard the call of God, I did not follow after any of that. I followed after Jesus. And do I have regrets? Absolutely not. Has it been hard? Yes. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that being a Christian is easy. You will face attacks from an enemy. Don't worry about that. He's given you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. You will face persecution from people that you thought loved you, but they're going to try to persuade you not to be a Christian. You're going to face persecution for what you believe because everything today is opposite to what Jesus says. God says this, the world says this, and if you don't believe their way, they're going to attack you and they're going to persecute you, but I don't care because I know one day when everything is over, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to spend eternity with him. Somebody said it this way, just in, in, in easy vernacular. Uh, you, it, you know, you either pay now or you play later or you play now and you pay later. You enjoy life now and all the trappings of life, you're going to pay for it later when you realize, hey, I should have invested uh, in, in the kingdom of heaven. 
Yeah, or you can, you can pay now. In other words, you invest, you lay your treasures up in heaven by living for God, and later on, you get to play for all eternity. I choose to live life that way. Elijah, the present prophet to the land of Israel, was commanded by God to go to Elijah to call and anoint him to be the next prophet over Israel to take his place when his ministry was completed, which it wasn't. In this text, Elijah uh, was working his business when Elijah showed up, and through his prophetic act, he placed the call of God, that's what the mantle was, it was a mantle of a prophet on Elisha's life. Elisha knew what this mantle meant, he knew it was a call to ministry to serve God in that area, so he received the call, he didn't decide to wait for tomorrow to go fulfill the call, he also didn't try to follow the call on his own terms, instead he, having received the call, he went home, rid himself of any attachments said goodbye to his parents, regardless of whether they approved or not, and followed after Elijah to fulfill the call that was, that was placed on his life by God. There was no going back, only moving forward with God. You can't say, I'll try God, and if it works out, I'll do that. It won't work. You're either all in or you're not. There was a, a scripture I preached on last week where Jesus uh, was on the water and he called to Peter and he said, uh, and he recognizing his voice, Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come out on the water. And Jesus said, come. Now, Jesus, the, the wonderful thing about Peter is he jumped out of the boat and walked on the water. But see, it doesn't work if you just try putting your foot out there and, and just try seeing, am I going to sink? Can I go let? No, you either have to go. If he says come, you got to go all out. When you go all out, you'll find that his word is strong enough to be able to hold you up. But if you don't go all in, you're really not trusting in him. You're trusting in yourself. There was no going back, only moving forward with God. So in conclusion, following Jesus is a call to leave the familiarity and security the world provides uh, to follow the Lord into whatever area, whatever situation he leads us to. The call is not of our own making, but as a response to hearing his voice to leave all. When I say all, I'm talking about your life and embrace his life. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, myself, uh, uh, that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The call is also not one that is to be put off for tomorrow. Tomorrow, you might say, will be better for me, but not today. The problem is that for many, tomorrow never comes. I'm not talking about you're not going to wake up tomorrow, but when you wake up tomorrow, there's going to be another tomorrow. And when you wake up that tomorrow, there's going to be another tomorrow. Tomorrow never becomes today. That's why tomorrow never comes. We also cannot make the mistake of defining the terms for following after God. It's not a call they can wait until everything we deem is necessary and everything we want to do and all the things are, then we can go after the Lord. Jesus is Lord, we are not. To truly grasp, grasp, the, Christ, to truly grasp the Christian life, one must understand that following after God must always be on his terms, not ours. He leads, I forsake all, and I follow after him. One of the things that we like to do whenever we, we lead people in a prayer is we say, okay, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is your Savior. He came to save you from your sins, but he's not just your Savior. He's your Lord. The Lord is, is your, your master. He's your creator. He's your God. And so when you follow after God, you need to renounce your old way of life 
No matter how good it looks, if you're not serving God, you're serving the God of this world. And if you look behind the curtain, just like, uh, just like uh, who was it, Dorothy did on The Wizard of Oz, you realize that all this life is, is being manipulated by someone behind the scenes, and that person behind the scenes is the enemy of our souls. It's the devil. Oh, no, it's so good. Is it? No, there's a devil behind it all. And if you don't embrace Jesus, you're living life on the devil's terms. So you have to renounce the world. You have to renounce that system. You have to renounce that way of life. And then you have to embrace God. I'm no longer going this direction. I'm going this direction. But, 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 doesn't work. He that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are there are that are on that road. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it.